Have you ever heard the phrase, forgiveness is freely given, but trust is earned? Forgiveness is freely given, but trust is earned. See, once broken, trust is hard to build back in relationships. You've ever been there with someone where you have extended forgiveness to them for something that they have done, and yet the trust in that person takes a little time, perhaps this week, even with your kids, maybe you've given them the iPad and said, hey, you can go to this game and play this game, and 10 minutes later, you look over the couch and they're on a website that they shouldn't be on, and you walk through the process there of reconciliation to say, this was wrong, and they say, well, mom and dad, I've apologized, so I want the iPad back. (laughs) And you say, no, trust has to be earned back. Or perhaps you have a friend that has betrayed you or you've betrayed a friend and in that circumstance it takes a bit of time to earn that trust back one side or the other. And maybe even with a spouse, in your relationship with a spouse something serious has happened in your relationship and you have extended forgiveness, they've asked for forgiveness and you've extended it to them and yet you're still living in a place where you're trying to build trust in the process of reconciliation. You see, forgiveness is freely given by grace and by God's kindness he allows us to forgive but oftentimes reconciliation is a process that takes time. Testing for genuine change is often where we find ourselves but there are tons of hard issues in that because surely we believe as People who believe in the gospel, of the gospel, that God forgives us in spite of us and heals our hearts and mends our relationship with him. The Bible says that we ought to forgive as Christ forgives us. And so there's many heart issues that come to bear when we consider the deep hurts of our lives and what it looks like to extend forgiveness and receive forgiveness from someone that we love. Joseph finds himself in that place this morning. As we come to the book of Genesis, we've been in the book of Genesis for a while now and we've looked at the first 11 foundational chapters where God is providential and sovereign and creating and setting up the institution of marriage and then sin enters the world and you see all the effects of sin and even you see his grace and his mercy through that and then you come to the life of Abraham which we looked at and then the life of Jacob which we're going to keep seeing today and then the last few weeks we've been in the life of Joseph. And Joseph is a great example of God's providence and work. Remember we said that God's providence is like the rudder of the ship that is moving that sometimes you can't see and directing that you can't see. But if you think about Joseph's life, God is surely providentially working even though he can't see it. He can't see the puzzle pieces in his life until later. But there's a lot of pain that Joseph goes through and and really the plan is bigger than Joseph as we've learned. But we come to the text today where Joseph is... So Joseph has already gone down to Egypt, down to the pit, and down to Egypt, and down to the prison in Potiphar's place, and even forgotten by the cupbearer, and spends a few more years in prison. And then last week we saw Brent preach that he was exalted. He went from the pit to the pinnacle of Egypt, the greatest power in the world of that time, and Pharaoh even gives him his signet ring, and so all the power of Pharaoh is at his fingertips, and he's exalted, and yet... He's exalted, life is good by any measure of the imagination and yet he has deep personal pain from broken relationships in his family. 
And that's where we bring it to today. That's where we chime in today. We're going to look at chapters 42 and 43. This is, these are two big chapters and there's a lot of repetition in these chapters, but we're going to walk through this text. So bear with me. If you've got a Bible, it's page 35 on the end of your row. You need a Bible for this. So we're going to walk through this passage and I'm going to show you a few things about God. And related to that, I want to show you some three principles of life, the life application principles that we can draw out of um, what we find in this passage about God and about Joseph and his brothers and his father. So stay with me as we work through it. And we'll get to some great truths that you can clearly apply to your life in relation to God as well as relation to other people, maybe people who have wronged you or you've wronged them. And we'll try to apply those to our lives. And so look here at chapter 42. And your first thought for today is simply this. That God does not forget, and we've been saying this, and we're going to keep beating this drum because this is the life of Joseph, but God never forgets his providential plans for his people. And we're going to see that come to fruition to where Joseph has an aha moment to see, hey, this is really happening the way in which God said it would happen after 20 years. And so God doesn't forget his providential plans for his people What's happening right now? Joseph is exalted. Why? Why is he exalted? Because he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Dream that there would be a famine. And so what Joseph has been doing is planning for seven years for this famine. And the famine has come and the famine has struck the area of the world at that time. And it spread all through the land at the end of chapter 41 is what it said. Even so much that when we begin chapter 42, the the lens shifts to Jacob. And you see Jacob... And the sons, and they're back in Canaan, and this famine has taken over that, and they're running out of food. And Jacob says to the ten guilty brothers who threw Joseph into the pit, he says, why do you look at one another? In other words, get off your duff and go down to Egypt and get some grain lest we die. But who does he keep back? See, Jacob has come a long way in his life as we learn, but Jacob still has some problems. He's still clinging, isn't he? He's still clinging to his youngest son from his favorite wife, Rachel, the brother of Joseph. He's still clinging to Benjamin, that Benjamin might not be lost as well. And so he sends the other sons, the 10 guilty sons, down to Egypt to get grain, but he holds back Benjamin. He's clinging to Benjamin. So you still see this element of favoritism. You still see this element of clinging, not to God, but but to his own plans. And guess who's the governor down in Egypt? Look at the text here and we'll pick it up. Joseph is the governor in verse 6 of chapter 42. He's the governor of the land. He's the one, look at it, in verse 6. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. I want to stop right there and just consider. I don't know this from sure. I'm just making an educated guess about this. But I want you to consider if you're in Joseph's shoes, knowing you haven't seen your brothers who sold you into bondage and slavery 20 years before and there's a famine and what are you thinking you're thinking everybody's coming here not just from Egypt from around the world down in Cana people are coming the Hebrews are coming to buy grain from us I wonder I wonder if I'm gonna see my brothers I wonder if they're gonna show up here have you ever played that out where you might see somebody that you're not quite right with or you have big problems with maybe it's a wedding maybe it's a family situation you're going how am I gonna play this how, how am I going to deal with this? Am I going to come after them? Am I going to ignore them? Am I going to test them? What am I going to do if I found, find myself in this particular situation? So here's what I think. 
I think Joseph has considered that his brothers might come to buy grain because Cana, because there's a famine in Canaan and as well, and he's likely seeing other Hebrews. And so I think Joseph is waiting for that moment. I think he's been planning for that moment if it might happen. And so verse six, and Joseph's brothers, here it is, came down, came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. If you know the story of Joseph, remember when Joseph was 17 and young and he probably should have kept his mouth shut when he had the dream about the grains of, about grain and the skewers of grain and how he had his dream from God that he represented the skewer of grain and his brothers represented all these other skewers of grain that bowed down to him and he made the mistake of sharing that with his brothers and his brothers say what? Are you going to reign and rule over us, little brother? Is that what's going to happen? And they hated him even more, which contributed him to getting him down to Egypt. And look, the text is saying, this is what happened. 20 plus years later, the brothers came down and bowed themselves before him. Joseph saw his brothers, verse 7, and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. He's beginning to test them. Where do you come from? He said he knew exactly who they were. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And so they're being truthful. It's an interesting, unique situation because he's able to test his brothers as like a fly on the wall because they don't recognize him. And you say, well, how do they not recognize him? Well, first, it's been 20 years. And they're probably not looking for him because they, pro- they likely think he's dead. Or as a slave, they're certainly not looking as to the governor of Egypt and saying, well, that must be our brother. And not to mention that See, Joseph has acclimated to the culture of Egypt, and so his whole body is, in this position, his whole body would probably be shaved, so he'd have a shaved head, he would probably have this royal garb on, so it would be very difficult, even if they were looking for him, to know that that was him. And they don't recognize him, so Joseph is this fly on the wall, and he's able to create tests of his brother. This is unique. This is interesting. You ever think about that when you see your kids out at school and they're playing on the playground and you're like, it's nice to be a fly on the wall to see how my kids function and behave. And so I think Joseph, this is what you see in the passage, so he recognized them. They don't recognize their brother. And then you get to verse 8. Joseph recognized them. Verse 9, Joseph remembered. This is great. Joseph remembered the dreams that he had, that he dreamed of them. And I think this remembering is an aha moment for Joseph to go, you know what, God has been with me. God's been with me through all of this, and this is coming about because this has been God's sovereign plan. But here's the thing. You know, I think probably when Joseph was 17 and his brothers were going to bow down to him, he probably reveled in that. It looks like he did. But if Joseph knew all the things that had to happen for his brothers between that time when he was 17 and 20 plus years later and all the mess that Joseph went through, do you think that he would still revel in his brothers bowing down? Do you think he would still want that if he could go back to when he was 17? Probably not. But there are bigger purposes than just sibling rivalry and sibling, the sibling situation, aren't there? There's the reconciliation of of a family that's beginning to happen because of these circumstances that God has woven in his providence together. And even bigger than that, one of the things we learned in one of the first weeks that we were here talking about Joseph is God had a bigger plan than that. Do you remember Genesis 15? In Genesis 15, God said, hey, 
when, he, when he's promising Abram land, seed, and blessing, part of the way in which they were going to get possessions and they were going to grow as a nation was that they were going to go through affliction for 400 years. And he told Abram this in Genesis 15. He said, listen, you're going to go to another place. You're going to be a sojourner in that land. And you're going to go through affliction. The nation Israel is going to grow, but they're going to go through affliction for 400 years. Well, how did they get there? The reason they got there is because Joseph was sold to Egypt. And then Psalm 105 says, God summoned a famine. God summoned Not it just happened, but God summoned this famine so that Canaan, the people of Canaan, would have to come to Egypt. You see how God is working these puzzle pieces? And Joseph is already there to preserve and save the nation. And so, maybe the point would be this. God's ways are not our ways. If you're Joseph, you would have never set the situation up that way, would you? Joseph realized that God was still with him even through the affliction and the pain of it. Do you notice in Joseph's life that everybody forgets him or forsakes him, except for God? The cupbearer forgot him. Potiphar abandoned him, forgot him. His brothers forsook him, but not God. God was there all the way through the process with him. And God is with you in your affliction, in your pain. He is with you. He is working his plan. We've got this puzzle at our house I don't know if you do this as a family. I'm not much of a puzzle guy, but uh, a few weeks ago, the ladies got a puzzle and they put it on kind of the top of the cabinet in our living room. And the puzzle is just laying there. It's, it's a neat thing. I've enjoyed it. The puzzle is just laying there and it's not put together, but all the pieces are strewn out on the top of the cabinet, our, our, our cabinets in the living room. And so every once in a while, you'll see a kid go up and put a few puzzle pieces together. And then another kid, or Melanie, and I did it the other day, and I was trying to shove pieces in the puzzle to make it work. It doesn't quite work that way. And I don't know when that puzzle will get finished. Maybe one of us will just decide this thing needs to get done. I don't know. But likely, this thing is going to take a long time. And I say that, and my kids are going to go finish it today. Um, But likely, it's going to take a long time, and it's going to take a lot of thought, And it's probably going to take a lot of what I was doing to try to make the thing work. And we have the benefit of seeing the picture of this. It's a puzzle of a cardinal. And I have the benefit of seeing the picture of the cardinal, but our lives aren't like that with the puzzle. See, God sees the whole thing. He's put the whole thing together, but we're often like the people moving around the puzzle, trying to make it work, and it takes a really long time for us to see, and sometimes we don't even see. But God is working the puzzle pieces for his purposes and his glory and our good and it often doesn't feel that way. This is what we see in this text. We see evidence that God is working his providential plan with the fulfillment of this dream that Joseph has and he remembers it. You ever wonder who is with you? Is God really with you? It's a beautiful thing to come to scripture and be reminded of the promises of God that he is with you, whatever you're walking through and going through. Maybe you can't find the next puzzle piece. You just need to trust that God is moving those pieces together for his glory and your good. You see, the God of providence is working his promises according to his plan. But God is also something else, isn't he? God is also holy. God is holy and he's going to bring the truth to light. For 20 plus years, these brothers have been holding on to this secret. That it wasn't 
Something that killed this fierce wolf, this fierce animal, this creature that killed their brother. But this is beginning to come to light. And so what Joseph is going to do is he's going to offer some tests to his brothers just to see, like a fly on the wall, if their conscience is pricked, if they've changed any. And look as we go, look at chapter 42 a little further down, and this is what we see. I'm going to skim a little bit, but you're going to see different tests. You're going to see, I think, the biggest test in this passage that is Joseph giving multiple tests, and you're going to see it next week as well, to his ten guilty brothers to see where their hearts are. To see where their hearts are. But I think there's a couple of other tests in here as well. I think Jacob, the father, is tested when the sons come back. And I think Joseph is being tested too. Is his heart going to soften You know, you and I are there oftentimes when we're frustrated and bitter at someone and then they begin, God begins to soften their hearts and then we have to come to a place, don't we, to go, okay, now they've confessed. Am I willing to take steps toward them because I'm still hurt and I'm bitter? And so God, the second point today is this, God tests his people to reveal what's in their hearts. God does this here and he's going to do this and he does this in our lives He tests his people to reveal what's in their hearts. Let's just kind of skim through um, chapter 42, 12 through, or 15 through 28. And I want you to see the storyline. So after he remembers, what does he do? He says, hey, you're spies. He knows they're not spies. He knows who they are, but he wants to see if they're going to tell him the truth. He wants to see where their hearts are. He's testing them. And he accuses them of saying, hey, you're just coming into the land because you want to take over the land. That's why you're here. And they say, no, we're honest men, which is kind of a joke. They're not honest men. Um, And then they let out of the bag that the youngest son, his full brother, Joseph's full brother, is, verse 13, with their father and their other brother, Joseph, is no more. Irony. Look at verse 14. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies, By this you shall be tested. So he tells them that he's going to test them. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your younger brother comes here. So he wants to see Benjamin. He wants to see how they respond. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined. So he puts them in prison. Do you notice the similarities here? Remember what happened to Joseph? He was thrown into a pit. He goes down to Egypt. He's in prison. Now who's going through that process? Now the brothers are going through that process. Their father sent them down to Egypt and now they're in prison for three days. And they're innocent of what they've been accused of. Interesting irony. And then he says in 16, send one of you and let them bring their brother while you remain confined. By your words you may be tested. By your own words you may be tested. Whether there's truth in you or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. Keep looking. And then in verse 19, it says, lest one of your brothers remain confined when you are in custody, let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of their household. So he's going to keep Simeon back just as collateral, and then he's asking them to bring Benjamin back with them. So it's a test to see if the brothers have changed, because remember, Benjamin is still the, Benjamin's the favorite, he's the brother, so how are they going to treat Benjamin? There's a lot of tests that Joseph is putting them through, but look at what happens. As a fly on the wall, he hears some things. Look at verse 21. Then they said to one another, the brothers, these guilty brothers, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. So these circumstances bring to mind what they have done 20 plus years before to Joseph, 
who is listening in. And they don't know that he can listen in and understand Hebrew because they think he's an Egyptian, but he's listening in, isn't he? In truth, we were guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when we, and he begged for us and we did not listen. This is why the distress has come upon us. And so their consciences are pricked. They see their guilt for what it is. There's confession here, at least to one another. And Reuben answered, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? So now there comes a reckoning for the blood. See, they're, they believe that they are reaping what they've sown. And Joseph gets to hear this. And what does he do? He goes into another place and he weeps. And he's going to do that a number of times here. See, here's what I think happens here. And I think this is building, but here's what I think happens with Joseph. I think Joseph's had some time to deal with what his brothers have done to him. And I think what you could have seen in the scene where he meets them, I mean, he has the signet ring of Pharaoh, so he could have done to them whatever he wanted to do. If he was still wanted retribution, he could have taken it out on them immediately when they saw him, but he didn't. He tested them. He wanted to see what was in their hearts. And here, he sees that they are confessing, even though they don't know it's Joseph, they are confessing to what they did to him long ago. And so Joseph is seeing heart change. And so look at his response. He's softened. His heart is softened more. And this is what happens when you're betrayed by someone and they come to you and they are willing at least to confess something, that it has the ability, God will use that to soften their hearts. And so the brothers' hearts are being softened. Well, guess what? Joseph's hearts are being, is being softened as well. And look at it in verse 25. Here's the evidence. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain. But not just grain. Replace, replace every man's money in his sack. I think there likely is a form of testing, but this is just generosity. He's giving them back the money that they brought for the grain. And they give it back, and they give them provisions for the journey. He didn't have to do any of those things. But he gave them grain, he gave them their money back, and he gave them provisions to go back. This is what happens when God softens people's hearts that are hardened. He softens hearts. So God tests his people to reveal what are in their hearts. And this is what you see with the brothers. You see uh, some softened hearts with the brothers. You see with Joseph softened hearts. But what happens when they go back to Jacob? Remember Jacob? the heel grabber, the deceiver, and yet he's come a long way. But like us, likely, we, we often revert to our old ways, especially in times of testing and tension. When they came to Jacob, verse 29, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened, and so they recall all that had happened and the tests that, that Joseph had put them through. And then you come down to 35 and look at his response. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Instead of thanking God for what Joseph had done by his grace, they were afraid. And that's what happens with a guilty conscience. It makes you anxious. It makes you think about other things that might be true that are not. And so really for the next 10 to 15 verses, they, they kind of come up with a scheme where they'll go back. They'll go back, but they'll bring all this extra stuff to appease Joseph. And that's not where Joseph is at anymore. It's an interesting thought. And what you see here with Jacob as he's tested that is that he responds in fear. He responds in paranoia. He clings to what he doesn't want to lose. He does not want to lose Benjamin. 
And he clings to what he doesn't want, what he treasures. He clings to what, what he treasures. You know what he ought to be doing as a patriarch? As a patriarch of the family, he's seen some things. He's seen God move. He's seen God promise land, seed, and blessing. And he's seen over and over and over again God come through. Even though he had weak faith, he's seen God come through all the way through his life. And so what he ought to be doing to his sons is saying this. This is a hard situation, but we're gonna go, you're going to go back and you're going to offer this back. And we're going to trust God because he's been faithful and he will be faithful. And he will make all things right. That should have been the response of Jacob. But Jacob's like you and I. We often falter in times and we need God's grace. And so you see all three of these people in the story tested. You see the brothers tested and Jacob tested and Joseph tested. Will Joseph be bitter, need revenge? No, his heart is softened. And it's interesting when you think about it though, it's interesting because God will often use circumstances that you're not planning for to bring reconciliation and relationships. If you've ever been there, I've got, this is a true story. Um, there's some ladies in my extended family and they had been cross for a good number of years. They live in the, they live in the same little small town, so they have to see each other, you know, at the grocery store here and there, but they try to, they try to avoid each other like the plague, no pun intended. They've tried to avoid each other, that was supposed to, anyway. Um, they avoid each other, and yet, a couple of years ago, they, one of them was in about an hour and a half away from home. And they're in traffic, they weren't paying attention, and they rear-ended the car in front of them. And the person in the car got out, and guess what? These two ladies, it was, they were an hour and a half away from home, and coincidentally, they got in a wreck together. Now, that could have gone two ways. It could have gone really bad, or maybe they saw it as God wanting to do something. And the way I found out is because I'm at dinner about a month later, and one of the ladies who I'm having dinner with told me the story. And I'm the pastor of the family, you know, and so I pray for things, and, you know, I deal with different situations, and that's just what you do. And... He said, you know, I don't think that's a coincidence, do you? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And so, fast forward, their, their relationship isn't perfect now. They're still in a process, but that was a couple years ago. But they're meeting, and they're talking, and this is what God does. You ever been in that situation where God puts somebody around you that you have a broken relationship with, and maybe the thought comes to mind, maybe we need to deal with this. Maybe that's what God is trying to do. And I think that's what you see here, that God is bringing together this family for reconciliation providentially. And so I wonder in our lives what that looks like. Does God ever do that with you? Something happens just a certain way that puts someone in your path that you didn't want to deal with. You need to pay attention to get the way in which God works. You need to pay attention to lay down your weapons to be able to try to make things right with people. And if maybe you're the guilty person as time has passed, maybe God brings those circumstances to mind. Maybe it's not a car wreck, like in the middle of Houston, a couple hours away, that's pretty obvious. Maybe it's 
the Spirit of God working when you're praying and asking him to reveal any way in your heart. See, God is about bringing reconciliation. He tests his people to reveal their hearts. And last, when our hearts are softened, God's grace softens our hearts to move us toward reconciliation in relationships. And that's what you're going to see and begin to see in chapter 43. Look at verse 16 in chapter 43. See, God's grace softens hearts and reconciles relationships. God's been softening Jacob. Excuse me, he's been softening Joseph and he's been softening the brothers. And then in 43... You see Joseph, and I love this passage. The next couple of weeks, we're going to look even further at it. But look at verse 16, and I just want to walk through this a little bit to show you the change in Joseph continues. When Joseph saw Benjamin, this is his full brother, when they come back, and it's been a few years because Jacob didn't want to lose his son, Joseph saw Benjamin. He said to the steward of Joseph's house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal. I think of prodigal son, like this is a celebration that these brothers are back and they're anxious and they're afraid that they're going to become slaves. And Joseph is saying, cut the fattened calf, we're going to celebrate. Benjamin and the brothers are here. Make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. Verse 17, the man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men, these 10 guilty brothers were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. So they're thinking this is a bad situation. And Joseph's saying this is glorious. And they said it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants. So he's thinking they're bringing, me to, they're bringing us to his house so we will be his servants because he's going to accuse us of taking the money. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house. They want to know beforehand And at the door, and this is great, look at it, verse 20. Oh, my Lord, they came down to the first time to buy food. And when they came, the lodging place, so they give the story. Like they they give the story of what happened, which they're being truthful. And they brought the money down with food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. I love this reply. Look at verse 23. He replied, peace to you, shalom. Shalom to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father, hint, hint, (laughs) has put treasure in your sacks. This is an Egyptian that's been around Joseph. The way this Egyptian knows about Yahweh, their God, is through Joseph. So Joseph has been making his God known to his servants in his Egyptian home. And he's relaying this to these Hebrew men, these guilty brothers. I received your money. And so it's the servant who put the money in the sack. Then he brought Simeon out to them who had been in prison. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, this is hospitality. And they had washed their feet. And when they had given them donkey, their donkey's fodder, so they were feeding their animals, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. They heard that they should eat there. And Joseph, in verse 26, came home. They brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down there it is again they're bowing down second time and they inquired about the welfare is your father well this is Joseph the old man whom you spoke is he still alive your servant our father is well he is still alive and they bowed again and Joseph lifted up his eyes verse 29 and saw his brother Benjamin he hadn't seen Benjamin in a long time 
his mother's son and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? May God be gracious to you, my son. You see the change in Joseph? And Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place to weep. So the brothers had brought their youngest brother back, the favorite one. They had passed many of these tests that Joseph had given them. See, there's a shocking level of kindness and compassion that Joseph exhibits in the story. And I think in part, it's, you could say from a human perspective, it's because the brothers had softened his heart because of their response. They see their guilt, but this is a work of God. This is the work of God in Joseph's life to bring him to a place. Imagine it. Imagine your brothers throwing you into a pit, having lunch at the top of the pit, wanting you to die, sending you to another country for dead. And this brother, 20 years later, has compassion for his brothers and kindness toward his brothers. That's the work of God in your life. When you think about situations in your life that that look so fractured and broken, God's the only one that can put those things back together. And that's what happens here. God softens his heart. Isaiah 30, and I think this is why this happens, because this is what the Lord does to us and our rebel hearts. The Lord, Isaiah 30, 18 says this, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. You need to hear that. The the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. He longs to be gracious to you, C3. Do you long for him? He offers all the things that you can hunger for. The table is loaded and waiting for you to enjoy him. Have a seat. C3, at the table of his grace, where grace is served. Have you experienced that grace? Have you experienced the grace of God that would bring a sinner like you and me into right relationship with a holy and perfect God? To know that peace, to know that forgiveness, to know that kindness. See, that's the beauty of the gospel message. We are guilty and we are anxious like these brothers But God has given us pardon and peace and shalom. And he invites us into his table. He loves us in spite of us. And he desires reconciliation with his son. When I think about that, I think about, when I think about the kindness of God toward me. And the kindness of God toward you, if you know Christ, I think of Titus chapter 3. As I think of Titus chapter 3, it makes me think of the brothers in the story and Joseph as well as a type of Christ. It says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. That's you and me. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified, 
by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's the beauty of the gospel. That God has taken sinners like you and me and made us right, not because of what we bring to the table, because there's nothing we bring that is worthy of his acceptance of us, and yet he freely gives us his mercy and his grace. That's worth singing about. That's worth living our lives in honor of him for. See, God is providential. God is just. God is gracious. This is a beautiful story of a deep forgiveness, the testing of trust, and reconciling relationships. Your takeaway today is this. God is always working. He's always working in your circumstances to make himself known. God is always working in your circumstance to make himself known. So whether you are like the guilty brothers, he will use circumstances in your life to remind you of your guilt, but he wants to take your sin and more so your shame that you carry from that and lavish his grace upon you. So whether you're like the guilty brothers or whether you're like the fearful, hopeless father who's trying not to lose what you treasure most, which puts you in a paranoid, fearful place in this world, there's grace and forgiveness for you. So whether you're like the guilty brother or the fearful father Jacob, or whether you're like Joseph and maybe everything on the outside looks good and life is going well and you're successful and yet you have this deep, dark pain inside, whether you've been falsely accused or unjustly treated, God can take all of those burdens, the bitterness the anger that can eat you literally alive and relate other relationships alive. See, God wants to get you to a place where you're willing to trust him with all those burdens and lay those burdens at his feet. So God is always at work like he was here in the circumstances of your life, making himself known. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful for your grace and your mercy in our lives. We look at this story and we see this amazing story of forgiveness and the beginnings of reconciliation where trust is restored. We thank you that you soften hearts. Most of all, we thank you that you've softened our heart. If we know Jesus, you have softened our heart. We can't soften our own hearts with all of our works and the things that we bring, no, only to the cross that we can cling. So Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you've offered us through your son, Jesus. And we ask that you would do a work like you did in Joseph's heart, maybe in ours, that you would do a work if we are guilty to lead us to repentance. So Lord, we pray that you would, whatever work that you need to do in my heart and our heart as a church and the people in this room, would you do it? Would you open hearts to be reconciled either to you or to one another? In Jesus' name, amen.